Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today we read from Genesis chapter 6. When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then Yahweh said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be one hundred twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came in to the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. Yahweh saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And Yahweh regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So Yahweh said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of Yahweh. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark, and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it, the length of the ark 300 cubits, its breadth 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. Also, take with you every sort of food that is eaten and stored up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. This is the word of the Lord. Our text has one primary theme, and that's the idea of God's judgment against man's sin. But we see a little bit more than that as well. We see some strange things in the open. And then we see the conversation around the faith, the righteousness, as it's called, of Noah. So man began to multiply on the face of the land. Daughters were born to them. This is simply what was described, commanded by God back in Genesis chapter 1, that man would be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. 
So in a way, they're starting to fulfill the command. However, they're not doing the second part. They're not going with the intention of filling the earth and subduing it, caring for it. They're doing what they choose. Uh, verse 2 there, took as their wives any they chose. That's going to be a key phrase in this. The sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive. And then verse 4 is Nephilim. Those are the two phrases that cause a lot of debate about this chapter. Who are the sons of God? Who are the Nephilim? So let me give you a couple of ways to possibly consider this. Let's first look at that sons of God phrase. We could look at them as the sons of Seth. So we've got at this point already in the narrative of history, of creation, a, a splitting of the family tree of Adam that Cain has been cast out. We saw in chapter 4 his genealogy for several generations after him until we get to the seventh generation with Lamech who wants to multiply his violence, his revenge upon the earth. And that's certainly part of what this chapter is talking about. So now we have Seth, Cain, separate family trees going on. A lot look at the sons of God as the ones who are supposed to be of that family of faith. The ones to whom the promise has been entrusted, who have grown up in Adam's household, who have grown up hearing of Yahweh, calling upon the name of Yahweh, as we saw at the end of chapter 4. So the sons of God would be the Sethites, if you want to phrase it that way, whereas the daughters of man, instead of being those who follow God and trust in God, are those who trust in the ways of men, the Canaanites. And so instead of marrying faithful women, the Sethites simply take the women that they're lusting after. The women who they find attractive physically, and they marry those. And they're having children together with those. There's a lot of, a lot of strength to this position. One of them would be the idea of even what we've seen before, the distinction of being made in the image of God versus being made in the image of man. We've lost that image of God. Uh, and now in our fallen sinful nature, we are made in the image of man. But to, to see that connection here, just that language shift, that would make sense. If this is the way to take the text, then this is a great warning to us today as well, because I think this is an area where we fail. Our young men are not looking for women to marry who will build up their house. Uh, women who want to have a family, women who want to have children and love their children, women who want to, to see faith prosper in the home. Not wealth, not worldly things prosper, but the faith of the family. This is just not something that our young men chase after. They chase after Beauty, which only lasts for so long and then fades and disappears. Uh, St. John Chrysostom, in one of his sermons collected in On Marriage and Family Life, even went as far as to say that if you marry for beauty, this isn't a paraphrase here, if you marry for beauty, that attraction disappears within a month or two. <laughs> I think he said a month, two months at best. Um, it gets old. You want something else because it's your sinful nature that's chasing after that. And sinful nature cannot be contented. It cannot be satiated. It must be fought back. That's 
Genesis 4 again, as God warned Cain, sin desires to master over you, you must rule over it. So would that our children would marry faithful spouses who seek the Lord first, who seek the Lord above all things, rather than uh, simply marrying because of what somebody looks like and the passion the flesh enjoys. If that were the case, cohabitation wouldn't be an issue. But because of fleshly matters, it certainly is. The other way that is usually offered for this is that the sons of God refers to angels. There's a flaw with that one, and that's the idea that, as far as we can tell from Scripture, the rebellion of the the angelic beings, the angelic kind, was instantaneous. It was all at once. In order for this to be the case, Satan must have rebelled early and then other angels joined him later. That's not the typical view, but there's not a lot in Scripture on that, on the fall of angels. We do know from Revelation that a third of the angels fell with Satan. That's not to say literally one-third necessarily, but it's a fraction language of, of Revelation. The importance is on the minority. It's a significant number to be a third, but it's a minority. The, the angels who remain with the Lord outnumber and outstrength those who left. That they had interrelations with, with women would be noteworthy in that regard. That they took wives, however, for themselves would make it sound less likely that this is the angels. I'm not going to go out on the limb that most commentators do and say that angels and women can't have sex. I mean, Genesis 18, two angels come with God to visit Abraham, and they look like men. And then they go down to the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, and the men of Sodom and Gomorrah want to rape them because they look like men, but they're angels. When angels often appear, they're described in people-like terms. So I'm not going to say they can't. However, Jesus' own words, as he answers the Sadducees' question about the resurrection in Matthew chapter 22, verse 30, or Mark 12, verse 25, uh, they will be, we will be like the angels of heaven, neither marrying nor given in marriage. So if these are angels, they're fallen ones, um, doing not what they've been created to do either. I lean towards the first option, that this is a distinction between faithful and unfaithful among men. So verse 3, God says that his spirit will not endure man forever. His days will be 120 years. Two ways you can take that phrase. One, God just set a cap on our lifespan. I usually go that route, although the second option is the idea that God has just set the time for the flood. If that's the case, then it takes God about 20 years to speak to Noah and tell him what happens down in verse 10. Could be, though. So I go with the, the lifelong limit cap. And again, we have fallen below that, and man still, with all of our technology today, has not gone back above it. 
We do see it throughout the book of Genesis continuing onward for a while uh, until you get to Joseph at the end of the book dying at 110 years old. The Nephilim, again an interesting phrase here. Uh, People usually think of these as giants. Could be, certainly. There's definitely a connection. Giants are in scripture. Now, by giants, we're not talking like Jack and the Beanstalk giants that are, I don't know, 50 feet tall or whatever. We're simply talking about men like Goliath, who, instead of being five foot or six foot tall, Goliath was nine foot nine by the description given of him. That's huge. Another spot this shows up is Numbers 13, verse 33. This is relevant. There he saw the Nephilim, we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, or the Anakim, who come from the Nephilim, and we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. So the idea of the Nephilim, the Anakim, being giants certainly connects there. The trouble is, how'd they survive? Everybody but Noah and his family is wiped out in the flood. Did one of Noah's sons marry a Nephilim daughter? That this continues onward? Or does man's sinful corruption return to whatever this is? It's one of those two kinds of things. They don't survive the flood. Now, the other way to consider this word Nephilim is that in Hebrew, it is simply being brought straightforward into English. This is not a translation. This is the Hebrew name. Now, if we translated that Hebrew phrase, and it does show up elsewhere in Scripture other than Numbers 13, where else it shows up, it's translated usually something like fallen or deserter. So the idea of those who have rebelled against God, turned from him to do things their own way. These were the mighty men of old, strong warriors, but not for the right cause. So Yahweh sees the wickedness of man's great in the earth. Every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Hebrew is quite literally the formings of the thoughts of his heart. So even the, even the base, even where our thoughts come from, Even as they're being formed, they're already evil. We don't have a choice. This is not a matter of you have the free will to choose God or not. We never did. Ephesians 2 is pretty clear on this, saying that we were dead in our trespasses. Dead men can't, well, live. (laughs) Dead men can't save themselves. Left to our own, we are evil through and through. We are enemies of God. And so he has sorrow. He grieves all of this and declares that he will blot man off the earth. This is his judgment. Now he regretted, has sorrow, he grieves. This is not to say that God made the mistake. This is not to say that God changed his mind or anything of that sort. But it is to recognize that God sought to love man, and so his, his heart is filled with sorrow that man has not loved him. He created, he gave us a good gift, and we rejected it. We spit it back in his face. This is our sinful nature. But Noah found favor in the eyes of Yahweh. The family conversation point here, how do we find favor with God? 
And this is not going to be by our works, but this will be by faith. Just as it will be in Genesis chapter 15, where Abraham will believe Yahweh and it will be credited to him as righteousness. Something that's quoted by the New Testament writers a few times. It's not our works. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Should be a recognizable passage from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9. So these are the generations of Noah. We're now beginning his account. He's righteous, blameless in his generation. That last phrase seems to be a contrast, right? Blameless in his generation. A contrast from the wicked and evil intentions of all their hearts. That he is different, set apart, holy compared to them. Not to say he's actually perfect, but again, distinguishable. Just as as Christians we are to be today, our neighbors should recognize that we're not like them. If they don't, how can they recognize that there's anything to this faith that we hold, this hope that we have, if we don't live it? So Noah's favor in the eyes of Yahweh is from faith, from trusting in him and his promises. He walks with God like Enoch did before him. And he has three sons. We said before these could be triplets. We don't know. Um, Now we get the picture of the ark. God comes to Noah and gives him the description of the judgment that he's going to wipe out all flesh from the earth. This is the result of the fall of sin. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. We were its caretakers, and because we rebelled, creation fell too. Animals are broken just as we are. They don't behave the way they would have. The ground is broken just as we are. It doesn't behave the way it would have. Thorns and thistles were not part of the creation before. Weeds and so forth likely weren't there either. The rest of this conversation is going to be about the ark. And this is something your children probably know quite well, so let them tell you the account of Noah's ark. Now, it's fascinating that we try to turn that into a children's story. It is one of the probably most R-rated accounts of Scripture when you actually try to imagine it, that every life on the earth is simply snuffed out devastatingly by a tragedy that covers the face of the whole planet. Right? How many of us would, would teach our little children bedtime stories about tornadoes or earthquakes that level a city? And yet we'll teach them a, a bedtime story about a flood that wiped out the earth. The trouble with it is actually, though, what we end up doing with the story. We make it into a fairy tale. Lots of cute little animals coming to this uh, cutesy ark. And you can talk about the ark. Uh, Look at pictures. If you have pictures of Noah's ark in your home, look at them. Could this ark have held all the animals of the earth? Could this ark have actually survived on the ocean with rain pouring down on top of it? A lot of them are like open on the top. And you see like the giraffe's heads sticking out and whatnot. That's not going to fit anything. 
If you have the opportunity, if you've never done it, I would encourage you to visit the Ark Encounter in Kentucky made by Ken Ham of Answers in Genesis. What I really appreciated about it the most was that Ken said that his goal was simply to show one way it could have happened. We don't have to show how it happened exactly. We don't know. The scriptures don't tell us. But all we have to do is show one possibility and that can silence the atheist. It can silence the one scoffing our faith. And I think he did a very good job at doing that, showing one possibility, some neat ideas about how they could have fed the animals and how they could have um, even gotten animal dung off the ship and so forth. Um, it's, it's a well-done project. And it is life-sized. It's built to the dimensions mentioned here. 300 cubits is 450 feet. A cubit's 18 inches from the point of your elbow to the tip of your middle finger. It's breadth, so 75 feet wide, 45 feet tall. So what's that make it? A football field and a half in length? It's a big ship. And to be seaworthy... It would have taken some work. It's going to take Noah some time to build this ark. We're not told how long. We'll get to that tomorrow in chapter 7. But as God is doing this, he makes a covenant that he will save Noah and his family, Noah and his wife, and their three sons and their wives. So eight people in total that will be spared from this devastation so that the earth may be repopulated. And that's the same with the animals, two of every kind. So you don't need two of every type of dog, every breed of dog, just two dogs. God has so beautifully designed the DNA inside of them that as they reproduce, once they've come off the ark, as they reproduce themselves, you'll start to see some of the different variations that show up within the same kind. And that's the thing with evolution, too, is we don't, as Christians, deny change. We deny kind shifting. Dogs don't become another kind of creature. We might see different dogs, just as we see different eye colors and people and hair colors and body shapes and so forth. But people are not going to become something else. Monkeys did not become people. There's no jump from one kind to another ever documented in history. Ever. It's never been observed. It's it's only something that has been made up to fill in the gaps, and it's a demonic process um, that the devil is driving to seek to strip us away from the truth of God's word. So Noah did this as God commanded. He will build the ark, bring the animals on board. He'll fill it with food, preparing his family for a rough season ahead. Let us praise the Lord incarnate, Christ who Sing for joy and-